Colossians chapter 3. Um, it seemed fairly simple to to get to go through this book and then every week I get I have this intention of going so far and by the time Friday night comes I Saturday night comes I'm certainly reduced down and um, to to how far we can get we've kind of the last couple months uh, probably a couple months even yeah I would say we there there's been a perpetual theme that God has been speaking um, and I really don't mind I don't mind I really feel the necessity and the urgency of repeating because I think that it's very distinct from what we know and understand. This is a very... Chapter 3, the first, we're going to kind of look at the first 16, 17 verses. And potentially, I think that that's what we'll be. So, God willing. But uh, it's, it's in some ways the very practical um, uh, instruction on what it looks like to be born again. I, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's kind of both extremes. You know, the, the one side talks about being born again is just correct intellectual ascension to a truth. Um, I believe that's a very, um, strong misunderstanding. And then there's another side that is, Something ascribed to a, a, a hoping for a magic wand to wave over us and that I will be changed and everything will, and I'll just be all different. And I would say that both those are, are incorrect. Um, is there a supernatural happening, uh, that happens when we are born again? Absolutely. When we are truly born again, there's a supernatural infusion of power. But there is still the necessity of subjection of our will. There's still the necessity of acting. What, what does that look like? You know, we, we, unfortunately, we are people who tend to um, be motivated and moved and directed and led by how we feel about things. And, and that's, in, in, but that's something that should be very suspicious or something we should be very careful of. Because we have to realize that in spite of the necessity of crucifying our bodies, of crucifying ourself, of crucifying our will, of crucifying, um, our, our person of who I am, of, of dying to my right to, to, what David wants and David feels, there is still the propensity for the flesh to be very much alive. There's, there's something this passage talks about, and it talks about the peace of God guarding our hearts. And I'll just say it, say it prior. Um, is that a truth? Absolutely. Does that need to be a truth in our life? Absolutely. Okay? It, it, the peace of God. But, but let me also state that that's maybe, you know, that, that's, that, that's also oftentimes a great excuse for sin. 
Okay? I have a peace about it. What can you say? Because I have a peace about this with God. Well, you know, let me just say that Jonah had a peace about it too when he decided to not do what God told him to go to Nineveh. How did he, how, why do you say he had a peace about it? Well, he was sleeping on the boat in the middle of a storm. So obviously that is a, a level of peacefulness about it. He felt he didn't feel like going to the people of Nineveh. Was he, was, was he being obedient to God? Was he doing God's will? No. Our peace that God gives us has to be absolutely grounded in the truth of the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ, in verse 16, richly dwell within you. Okay? With all, with our, our hearts are to be... We, we always have to judge our peace by what God says. If somebody says, I have peace about sleeping with my girlfriend or sleeping with my boyfriend, I have peace about that. Um, you know, I, I'm not denying the fact that you might have some semblance of peace about that. But let me tell you what, that's not from God. And it's not a peace from God. And I can be absolutely assured of that. Okay? Because it does not align itself with the, with the, with the truth of the Word of God. Is Satan, we, we want to be very careful to realize that Satan always has, is always willing to open doors. Satan is always willing to be there to affirm our rebellion as being acceptable or okay. You know, the concept that, um, that I, I have a piece about this because this door opened and that door opened and, and this is what I want to do with it. That isn't necessarily what should guide and lead us. Okay. The peace of God is something that we absolutely need and absolutely should long for. But again, it has to be in conformity with the truth of God and what God has established as his character and his nature and his will. Um, and there's things that we know about his will that that are absolute. There's a I, I want to let, let me read this passage because it's it's and, and I hope that you know, I just trust that God will reveal because it's um, it's very important. What it what is our responsibility in following God? You know, we 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 want and we all want. I mean, all of us, I think, would like God to just go zap. Okay, it's all done. You know, you're, you're now. You will never act in a way which is contrary to my will. Now your thoughts will be my thoughts. Now your heart will be, and, and your longings will be my longings in my heart. Um, and we all kind of we, well, oh, looking for that or waiting for that um, to happen. But I would say that isn't something that happens with a, with a magic wand. That happens with something as we put on or put off the old self. There's a very important the word put on and put off, and they're both in here, okay? In verse 8 it says, but now you also put them all aside, all right? And it talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from her mouth. Okay, put them all aside. In verse, um, uh, twelve, it says, "And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience." I want you to consider 
um, that word means to clothe yourself in. Okay? And the word put off is, is to, or put them aside. That word put, that verb put means to put off, to, to lay aside. And in, in some ways, um, the, the initial word came from clothing, came from putting on clothes. It, it put on dress, immerse yourself into, be wrapped up in clothes. Okay, so we need to when, when he uses that analogy, I think it's really important that we need to realize that that there is the necessity, continual necessity in our life, of putting off and putting on. Okay, that's a that's an act of the will which we need to continually participate in. If we just go on acting on the basis of how I feel or what I feel like doing or what I, um, that's, that's a level of sensuality um, that God says is, is not to be a, the controlling factor in our life. We're not to act based on how we feel. We're to we're act on, to, on base of what God calls us to. So, putting on and putting off are a, are a continual part of how we are to live our lives. So, let's read this. Actually, there's another in Romans 6 we want to read too, but verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ. Now, that's assuming a very strong statement and we need to understand what that means. When, whenever you see a thing that, that in the scripture, when you're reading it, it says, if then you have been raised up, if you have been raised up, that you should always question and go, what does it mean that I have been? Because this is assuming that you have been raised up with Christ, okay? What does it mean to be raised up with Christ? If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a description of the Christian walk. Okay, it's, Positionally, we talked about these, um, who we are in Christ. And I, and I believe the last month or so, I hope that I have not completely failed in, in establishing the foundation of who we are in Christ. That's a really important thing. Because if I believe that I'm a... Um, a clown in Christ, then I'm going to take on the posture of a clown. If I believe that I'm a sinner in in Christ, then I'm going to take on the posture of a sinner. If I believe that I'm a saint in Christ, in, in that I've been um, enabled with all the tools necessary um, to be a saint, then I'm going to head towards being a saint. Okay? It's really important that we understand what we're called to and what God made. So, I think that we, we have spoken about that because that's where what the Word has done. And now he has established that in Colossians again, who we are in Christ. What have, what have we been called to? So it's saying if we've been raised up with Christ, that's a really important thing. This, and this is the position he's still talking about. For you have died and your life is still hidden with God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. That's a statement of position, okay? That's who we are if we have been raised up with Christ. All right. Now, there's a side of it that um, we, we need to be very careful in, in our distinguishing between 
the natural, the flesh, the material, and the supernatural. Um, because there really isn't a distinction that we make. Uh, Jesus, earlier on, Paul says that the Jesus, he infers Jesus, and this is something that somebody like Ashley would understand more than any of us, because she's really, really smart when it comes to things like that. But, that, that there, there is the, um, it says that Jesus Christ holds all matter together. I mean, that's a really radical statement. And, and I don't think, whenever we have, we have science, we tend to think of, well, let's not enter science because science might disprove God. No. Let me just say that the more we, we know of, of the reality of truth in science, the more it will prove the nature and character of God. God designed it. God created it. God made it. Okay. And so, that, I mean, it's a radical thing that it says, because we don't understand it, we don't understand why an atom works the way it does. Okay? We understand that when it isn't, doesn't work correctly, things go really, really awry. Right? I mean, it's called a nuclear explosion. You know, when things go, when things quit, instead of repulsing and going haywire and, and you know, negatives, opposites, you know, repulsing each other, we have this, this, this atom, and excuse my lack of understanding, I'm, I'm simple-minded in this, but we have this atom that is held together in the nucleus with, with protons and neutrons. We don't understand really why it does that. You know, why, why does it do that? And then it forms what we consider to be matter, what we call reality, right? And, and there's, really, there's really no difference between you and that chair you're sitting on. Or you in the air in front of your face or this thing you're standing on. I mean, it's, it's all just atoms, okay, that tend to be held together in certain ways in doing that. It says that Jesus holds those together. Um, we can take it, we need to go far, far beyond the, the, the simplistic, tragic lie um, the, of, of ultimate humanism that we are... That, that this is the reality, that we are just in the process of ascending and, and we are the ultimate beings. Um, God holds it together. And, and, and it's, it's, that, that is, okay, the, the, to be the foundation, um, of our reality. God created it and, and right now in this period of time in our lives, we are very much a part of of a material world. Um, but the supernatural world is truly the eternal reality. And, and we need to understand that. Um, Jesus, when he was on earth, he dealt in the, the spiritual world perpetually and continually. I mean, Jesus cast out demons on a daily basis. Okay? And, and so, are, are, is it demonic a reality? Yeah, it is. You know, are spirits a reality? Yes. Are angels a reality? Yes. You know, and it says it says when we worship God, we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, and, and so the 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 spiritual reality that goes on around us is even more absolute than this. Okay, than this physical world we live in. So, we, we, therefore, okay, because, because we have been raised up with Christ, this, this is a, um, 
fundamental, important truth. In Romans 6, let's read that and then we'll be able to hopefully have that established even clearer. We've read this before. Romans 6 explains what it means to be raised up. Okay. It says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Unfortunately, in spite of Paul saying may it never be, I would say that that is um, the contemporary gospel. We don't say it with our mouths, but that's the way we really believe in it. Um, I've even heard it said um, by leadership in churches, and this one being one of them at one point, that my sin is, it, the, my bondage to sin is my point of humility. And that's what keeps me humble. Um, that would be going completely against what Paul says then. Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Okay. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin, this is what he's saying, if then you have died to sin, if still live in it, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Therefore, and that, that isn't talking again about water baptism. That, that the word baptized, we tend to give it an immediate connection with water. The word baptized in the New Testament does not do that. The word baptized is a Greek word that means fully immersed in. Okay? The dunking in water is a representation of full immersion into something. Okay. It's something that the, the, that was a, uh, something that happened at the period of time and the people understood baptism because they, they, they would be baptized for something like when they changed an occupation. So if I went from becoming a blacksmith to becoming a carpenter and I changed my role in life, I would be baptized. Okay, that was a full immersion into that was showing a change in my life. That's going from one thing to another. So it was an understandable thing. It obviously has baptism has a completely different connotation in our culture. There's nothing we wouldn't even consider that that's what it means. It has a completely religious context in our culture um, that is, is contrary to what it was symbolic of in the day. Okay, in the day it was talking about full immersion into something. I'm going from something to something else. I'm changing my occupation. I'm changing what I'm doing in my life. My life is taking a different course. Okay. Um, and, and you know, in, the word means full immersion into. And in this case, that's exactly what it means. It says, since we have been buried with him. Now, again, we haven't, we could say, okay, wait, but it does mean literal baptism. Really? Well, does it mean literally buried? I mean, did any of us dig ourselves out of a cave or from under the dirt? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I dealt, you know, dug myself out of an avalanche one time, or actually got myself dug out of an avalanche by somebody else. But you know, be, being when we talk about being buried um, with Christ, we we don't mean that literally under the dirt either, do we? Right. We, but we do mean, what it does mean, is that I myself, David, my flesh, um, has been buried with Christ, has died. Okay? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And 
And, and that is, in, in a sense, a very real, momentary, absolute act of surrender of the will. And it's also a continual, perpetual act of the will um, that we live in. But since we have been buried with him through baptism into death, okay, through immersion into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, okay, in the likeness of his death, if we've been united with him in the likeness, what did Jesus do? Jesus was obedient to his Father to the point of death. Jesus laid down his life, right? I mean, that's what Jesus did. Jesus literally did it. But he also lived his life perpetually that way. Okay? He lived his life, not my will, but, but God's will be done. Right? And that's what it means to be Jesus. Was Jesus very heavenly minded? He was very heavenly minded. Okay? That, that his will and his purpose was about doing God's will and God's purpose. So, for if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Okay? For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, okay, and this is, it says Christ who has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, that, that, when it says, if you've been raised up with Christ, that's what it's speaking about. Okay? That we have, that we consider ourselves dead. That we, now, say, well, I don't feel dead, and my flesh doesn't feel dead. Well, probably not. You know, your flesh has the ability to feel pretty alive. Okay? The, the, I, I want to say, you know, that it's no, no different than, than a marriage covenant I take that God expects to be an absolute. You know, when, when I make it, our relationship with God is a covenant relationship. Okay? It's a blood covenant by the blood of Jesus, not meant to ever be broken. The same as a marriage relationship. That's how God intended marriage relationships to be. And when we, we enter into a marriage relationship, in God's purpose, in God's desire, and our society has lied to us, and we've all been abused and beat up by it because of the lies of our culture and our society. So this, that's the way it is. But, but God, what God intends in a marriage relationship is the same thing. That I literally can, not knowing what's ahead, not knowing even how difficult, not knowing, fortunately, probably, how tough it's going to be, I can literally enter into a covenant relationship with my wife forever, till I die. Right? That's how God intends for it to be. Okay? God intends for it to be a, a blood relation, a blood covenant relationship. That's, and that's what a marriage relationship is that you enter into. And, and, a, and a covenant relationship is not something that can be broken. It's not an agreement. Okay? It's, it's an, it's an absolute covenant relationship. And it isn't contingent or dependent on the other person. 
It's a covenant relationship that you enter into. So, that, and I can make that statement. I am, I am absolutely mandated, according to God, to make that statement with my wife. And again, I failed too. Okay? I don't stand here on a, on some high pedestal and saying, you know, just because, you know, we've been married for 34 years. We've been an ugly, rocky road trying to learn what marriage looks like and what God intended marriage to be and what God intended a relationship to look like. Okay? Um, now it's truly blessed. And, and, um, look at her. She's getting more beautiful all the time because of it doing it. But it's, it's truly blessed at this point in our life, but there was 20 years of real love, tough and ugly. Um, which I hope in, 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 in the expression, because we weren't really, we weren't taught a complete truth about marriage. We were taught, in fact, very little truth about marriage, honestly. Um, even being raised in the church and growing up in the church, my purpose um, in, is, is again the, the same purpose. And what does it mean to have a relationship with God? My purpose in speaking of marriage is what does it mean? To, what does God intend for a marriage to be like? And what does God equip you with? And how does God intend for that to look and function? Is so that we can revel in the glory of God. We can revel in the truth of God. We can we can revel in how God designed it and not be misfits in that relationship. All of us at this point are where we at right now. Single, married, been divorced, remarried, whatever. We're sitting in the relationships we're sitting in right now. And this is where God intends us to act from. Okay? Forgiven. God forgives. Because we cannot bear the guilt and shame of all the things we've done. If I had to live and bear my own guilt and shame, my marriage would be devastated and done. Because I'd be in a pile sitting in a corner somewhere. Okay, quitting on the deal because I'd be beat up. But God has forgiven. And God has allowed us to move on um, in our relationship, set free from the bondage of guilt and shame. Because guilt and shame do hold bondage. And that's what God desires for all of us. But in that relationship of a marriage covenant, I can truly make, and I make that relationship, not, I don't say, okay, as long as I, unfortunately we do this, but as long as I feel that I love you, as long as I want to be in this relationship, as long as I feel like being in this relationship, as long as I'm in love, then we'll be married. Um, if, if that's the case, it will look like the marriages in this country and we will all be divorced. Okay? Because it isn't based on how I feel. Okay? The feelings that I have in my marriage are the result of obedience. And, I, and it's very much the same in our relationship with God. It, it, it's, it, I do not base my actions. I made a covenant relationship and to, to be with my wife till death parts us. Okay? And, and I, I also made some other covenant relationships that I didn't honor. Okay? But God has forgiven me. And from this point on, I absolutely intend to honor. I absolutely will honor. I, I give that word to you and I give that word to my wife. And I, I understand differently the power of God to enable me to do that. And it's not based on my feelings or how I feel or if I want to. What? It's based on a covenant relationship, on a promise that I made. A relationship with God is based very much the same way too. We can choose to serve God. And we have to choose to serve God. It's not about how I feel. You know, I, it, it's interesting. I've been somewhat puzzled in, in perspectives we talked about um, Cornelius and, and when when Peter went to Cornelius' house and and 
you know, this was a wild deal because Peter went to a Gentile's house. I mean, here was Peter. He had a dream the night before and this, all this food came down on blankets and we don't understand the magnitude of it, but there was all kinds of unclean things that he was raised his whole life were absolutely wrong. You know, that you can't eat these things. You can't eat pigs. You know, you can't eat unclean things. You know, I mean, it was just, he was just, oh my. And God said, no, eat of these things. And he's going, ah, you know, I can't. I mean, he was just, no, this is terrible. God said, no, eat of these things. Do it. I mean, it was just, oh my gosh. And then next day, some people came and God told them they would. And they marched to Cornelius' house. And it says, but, but the profound thing is that it says that Cornelius and his whole household and his servants, everybody served God. Everybody gave their life to service of God that day. Okay? And they were, they were born again, apparently. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Okay? There was a, this transformation, this evidence of the Holy Spirit going to Gentiles. This was a radical thing because for 2,000 years, Gentiles do not have a relationship with God. Okay? If you want a relationship with God, you get yourself whacked and you, and you become a Jew. Okay? I mean, you Gentiles don't get to have a relationship with God. Okay? And now all of a sudden God said, no, Gentiles can have a relationship with me. And that was a radical thing for Peter. I mean, we don't, we don't understand how, how big a deal it was. But the choice, the, 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 the thing to me that is really, um, profound, do I believe the Holy Spirit was working in the, in the house of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion and, you know, had people under his authority and, and was head over his household and, and seemed to make the statement, as for me and my house, we will serve God. Okay? And, and, and because of that authority, because of that, the whole household and his servants and the people under him seemed to say, okay, we will be part of that. We will serve God. It was a conscious choice they made to serve God. Okay? And, 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 and they were born again. Okay? Do I believe that they had an understanding of who this Jewish Yahweh was? I do. Absolutely. How he was distinct from the Roman gods. Um, you know, I, I'm confident they did. I don't know exactly where they got all that information, but they, they knew. They understood who Yahweh was. And Peter just came and said, and Jesus made a way. You guys are in if you want. We want. We're in. And they made a conscious choice to serve God. We, and I believe that that is, um, to this day, that, that, there, there is a conscious choice that we make to serve God. Absolutely. You know, I, I, we, we want to wait for this um, feeling of butterflies or euphoria or let's have a camp or let's play certain music and all, everybody come forward and, and, you know, we get pretty caught up in it and it seems like a pretty cool deal. I, I don't really... It, it isn't a matter of how you feel. It's a matter of the of a... It's entering into a covenant relationship with the Most High God and, and being willing to say, as for me and my house, as for me and myself, I will serve God. Period. I will serve you, God. Now, you have enabled me. You have set me free from the bondage of sin. You have set me free from guilt and shame. You allowed me to be forgiven. Okay? And I will serve you. What does, what does serve, serving Him then becomes obedience to God, death to ourselves, 
all these theological truths that are becomes very practical when it comes to putting on and putting off. Okay, we are to we are to put on clothes. The, we are to put on Jesus Christ. The Bible says, right? Just like we would clothes. That's what we're to clothe ourselves. That's what we're to look like. Okay? And we're to put off sin. We're to put off attributes of ourselves too. Is that acting and pretending? No, that's acting in an act of the will. Okay? Because we're not to lie to each other. Let me finish reading this part. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Dead. Impurity. Passion evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is an account of these things that the wrath of God will come. In other words, God's not okay with them. Okay? Those are part of our life. If that's a part of our nature and character. It, let me just say this. It's never okay to just say that's just who I am. as an excuse for sin or bad behavior or bad character. Okay? Is that okay? That's not okay. What does God call you to be? What does God call you to put off and put on? Well, I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm just grouchy in the morning and that's just the way it is. That's not okay. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's not okay. Does God, does God say being grouchy or being unloving towards your spouse or towards your family is acceptable? No, it's not. It's not acceptable. So, it's not okay to just be grouchy in the morning. Okay? What do you mean? It means you put that off. Okay? And what do you put on? It'll tell us what we put on here in a minute. And it's very important. And this isn't pretending. This is acting in an act of the will, realizing that God, the supernatural power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in your body to make these really a part of you. To make this, to change your character, to change your nature, to change your mind, to change the way that you think. Okay? If we think that you know, if, if these verses set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, okay? If we think, oh my, we're just supposed to seek heavenly things and, and that really seems boring. That really seems like, that would suck, you know? That's not very fun. I mean, there's a lot of things I like in this life and I want to do in this life and dreams and aspirations I have for this life. Um, that's, that's being very worldly minded. Well, God says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Okay. And what God is, is doing is telling us to, to submit our treasure to Him. Our time, our will, our person, who we are. And what does He say? Your heart will be there also. Okay? You want to agree we talked last week about something that's very, very important. I hope you all considered it. That sin is not composed of the outward action that you do. Sin is composed of disagreeing with God about truth. Okay? About, it's disagreeing with God about how he feels about things. Okay? It, that, that is the baseline of sin. Okay? That I, that I, in my, if, if, well, God, you, you tell me not to, to do that and, you know, you say, you know, it's not good to get drunk, you know, because it, we are to remain sober because for reasons, but that the, the, the being drunk is, is, is a very dangerous spiritual place to be in. Okay? Because it is. I mean, they, being drunk, being unsober is a place where we are very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Okay? Is a, is a major reason. You know, this isn't about 
alcohol is evil. This is about being drunk is, is a very dangerous spiritual place to be in. And, and putting ourselves in that place willingly is um, disobedience and sin. So, but God, I really feel like getting drunk. You know, I re- but I really want to. I know you say not to, but okay, I don't. But I really want to get drunk. We are disagree. The, the sin is I disagree with God. God says that this is a dangerous, bad place for you to be in. You know, it's no different than, you know, last week we talked about sexuality. You know, that man, I really want to be romantic, or I really want to be physical with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend. But God, you that I'm supposed to live in purity. But man, I really want to, and I really want to, and I long to, and I really want to kiss them, and I really want to hold them, and I really want to hug them, and I really want to do. That's a sin. Okay? You're saying, well, but I didn't act on it. But you disagree with God about it. You're saying that, God, you were wrong about this, and I'm right about this, and I really like this. I don't see it as being wrong. I see it as being good. I see it as making me feel good. So it's disagreeing with God about it. How do we, how do we change that? By saying, okay, God, I am willing to agree with you. And, and so what are we going to do? Go throughout our life going, well, the things that I want, the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Who will set me free from this body of sin, as it says in Romans 7? Okay? Jesus Christ will. And will literally change your heart. We, we, we do agree with God. Why is that important? So that we become good religious monks or nuns or priests or something with robes or something? No. That's not why. It's because God longs to be in agreement with us in intimate fellowship. See, God isn't going to change. God doesn't say, okay, I'll agree with you about something that's evil. No, God cannot change. God is absolute truth. God, God is, 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 is absolute truth. Okay? How God feels about it is the right way and the only right way to feel about things. In agreement with God is to be in agreement with His creation, in agreement with, with how He set up to have an intimate relationship with Him. So being in agreement with Him is to be in that place that He created us to be fulfilled in. That He created us to be in a right relationship with Him. So if, if our flesh is going, yeah, but I, don't want, I want to hold on to this because it makes me feel good to have these romantic thoughts about boys or girls or, or, or whatever it might be. You know, what, whatever, it makes me feel good to be angry. You know, I mean, anger is something that we easily hold on to, you know, but inside I like being angry. It gives me this sense of, you know, power. I'll act on the outside like I'm not, but I want to hold on to anger or, or, or lust or a longing for not just sexual lust, but a lust, a longing for more things materially. You know, I mean, we can, we can fill a lot of our time thinking about what we could have and, and what kind of a little, material empire we could build or circle around us that would make us feel that way. I, you know, I, I have to say myself, you know, the, I, I can get in trouble lusting materially, um, being greedy about guns. Okay? And, and you know, I mean, you say, well, guns, that's a pretty benign thing, you know, in spite of what some people might think, it is, you know, a pretty benign thing, you know. Um, and yet, and yet, if I, am I consumed by, um, and I find a tremendous amount of fulfillment in my flesh in 
in building guns and designing loads in my mind and even using them in the field and I haven't gone anywhere. You know, I'm just sitting here doing it, you know, and, 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 and I like those thoughts and I like thinking about them and I like thinking about how to make it better and you, you, probably few of you, if any of you understand that, you know, what it means, but there's, you know, there's a fair amount of complexity to taking a gun from just being a gun and taking a gun and having it shoot really well and having it perform really well and, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I can do from trigger to betting to action to lapping the lugs to which rifling in the board to all kinds of things that I only say those things not to get you excited like it does me. I only say those things so you understand there's a, there's a potential complexity that can occupy my mind. Okay? Can that be sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When when I when I lust, when I long for, when I look for satisfaction in. If, if I could, if I could do that, I would be happy. Really? No. I, fulfillment of 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 the flesh always leads to emptiness. Okay. To, to seeking seeking to fulfill the flesh, whether it's something I have, there's always a disappointment. That if I only had this, I mean, all of us know that. All of us know the disappointment, something we've longed for. That if I could just have this, if I could just have a new iPhone, or I don't know what, because you'll have to excuse me because I'll probably be several generations behind and it won't mean much. But if I could just have, if I just had this thing, you know, then my life would be better and I would, you know, I, I would be happy and man, I would just, I'd be content. And then we have it and, you know, it's just a pain in my butt, you know. I mean, uh, you know, it, 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 in, in perpetually, right? I mean, if I just had these clothes, you know, if I had these clothes, then I would look this way. Then I would feel really good about myself, and I'd be really happy. And we get those clothes and wear them, and then go and go. Eh, uh, I guess they're just some more clothes, aren't they? You know, if I get this car, you know, if I could just have this this car, man, this this is the car I want. If I just have this car, I'd be good. And unfortunately, some of us have such great aspirations about the, that perfect car that we probably will never have it, so we'll never know the emptiness of it. You know. I mean, so, myself being one, you know, I mean, God, if I could have a trophy truck to drive to Copper Basin, life would be good, you know, doing it. I mean, you know, that, that I would be a happy boy doing it. Well, no, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, yeah, if I had a supercharger on my car, man, that would really be cool. Well, I do, and it's not really that cool, you know, and, and I mean, it's just, they're, they're, it's never fulfilling, being heavenly minded, let me just say this, and it might seem very foreign, but being heavenly minded is absolutely fulfilling because that's what God intended us to be. That's how God created us to be. Heavenly minded, what, what does that mean? I think about the clouds, you know? I'm not in touch with the world. Being heavenly minded is, is being obedient to God. Okay, Being obedient to God is very practical in its implications in life. Okay, This isn't... I'm, I'm so otherworldly that I think about the world that I don't notice the people around me. That would not be being heavenly minded, pardon me. Okay? That would be being selfish and delusional. But that would not be being heavenly minded. Heavenly minded would be what, what did God say fulfills all the commandments He's given us? To be actively in pursuit with all your body and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength of Him and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So, so being heavenly minded has incredibly practical implications on me to you. And you to me. Okay? It, it, it's not about that it's only otherworldly and I don't think about this and think about people. I'm just in my own little euphoric state of selfish delusion. But that's not heavenly minded. Okay? Heavenly minded is very practical when it comes to me and you. Okay? It's very practical when it comes to me. Living out this life here on the earth. Okay? It's not, this isn't some, like I started to say and did a bad job in stumbling, it, this isn't some great distinction between the spiritual and material world, you know. Being heavenly minded is, is very much, very much practically in the world that we live in, right here. Let me finish reading this. Verse 8. But now you also put them aside. In other words, that word put is, is again a Greek word that means to put off. In front, to, to take off your clothes, to lay aside is what it means. Okay? Lay aside. Is that an act of your will? That's an act of your will. If you say you, I'm really angry and I have a peace about it, I'm going to say that peace isn't from God. Okay? Depends. I mean, if you, there's things that we should be angry about. But, but anger, which is a seething anger towards someone, um, and that's really what that word for anger means, it's, it's, then I'm going to say that's not from God. You have a peace? Well, but it isn't God giving you that peace. Okay? But, because we are to put that aside. What, what does it mean, put out? That means that I understand God says that is not okay. So I'm to repent and confess my sin. Do I get angry? Uh-huh. What do I do about that? That's just the way it is and I can't help it. No. I'm absolutely to help it. I'm to put that off. Okay? We are to put off, lay aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices. Now, we tend to think, okay, that's, you know, that's saying I caught a fish this big when I caught a fish this big, okay? That, that's lying, okay? Doing it. Um, I shot a buck this big when I shot a buck this big, you know, doing it or something, okay? The, the, that's not what the, what the word really infers here, okay? The, the, the word, in, in a sense it is, but because lying is lying. But what it means is giving a false impression. And, and that's really the inference of what it means. It, it's giving somebody an impression different than what is real. I would say that the American church is so full of this. Um, and it's one of the things that, that, that people are disgusted with and don't like. It's giving, it's, it's pretending to be something that isn't really there. And, and, and I wouldn't even say that it's, I mean, we always justify it. I mean, the, be careful to say that we don't do that. You know, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. When you really suck, you know, when your life's not doing good, you know, um, is that giving a false impression? Yeah. Well, why did you do that? You know, why? Why did? Because you want people to think well of you. And if I say my life sucks, then you suck. You know, what's the matter if that's the case? You know. So, it, it, so we don't want to say that. We want to say I'm good. That means you're good. You know. That means. That means. My life, I've got it together. That means you've got it together, you know, doing it. And so we want to give an impression. 
very much so within the church, maybe even more than most circles. And, and you know, I don't know that there could be a stronger admonition than do not lie. He says, he says to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. There, the predominance of American Christianity, and I say that a lot, but I mean it, is, is we, when we believe in a false gospel, okay, that says that it is alright to live in bondage to sin, to hold on to sin, to still have that be part of your life, but God is okay with that, and we're under grace, we're not under the law, so don't tell me what you can't say what I can and can't do, because I'm under grace, and God forgives my sin, and, and, and again, do not confuse the fact that I am absolutely admitting there's a fair amount of truth wrapped up in the lie. Okay? Okay? There's a fair amount of truth wrapped up in the lie. But when we live our life in 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 willing sin, okay, and yet we desire a right relationship with God. This is the this is the state of most people okay, in this world. So how do I be how do I feel good about my relationship with God? How does my relationship with God validate it? How do I how do I Say, well, but no, you're okay, and, and you don't have to worry about it. And how do I feel that way in my heart so that I'm not beat up by the fact? You know, I, I would say that in, in, in truth, um, probably as much as anything, and this is not just my emphasis, this is why the Bible speaks so strongly about it. Um, what it talks about, what's it say? Therefore, consider the member of your earthly body is dead to what? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, okay? This is the propensity of all humans. You know, it's it's no different than in the in the in the context of that we all grow up and find you know no hope in living. Most all of us in, in that the the cycle of lust and masturbation, and and in that cycle we we think sexually about about some boy or some girl, okay, that isn't our husband. That right. isn't our that we're not married to, and in in, in the, this is a very very important thing because we say but we don't act on it outside of that we just think that the truth is that um, consider this for a moment if you come into my house and think is a male and think sexually about my daughter are we going to be okay? You know better than that, Richard. You know, what do you guys think? You know, are we going to be okay? You know, if I know you're thinking sexually about my daughter. So, are you, are you saying that I'm a better dad than God? When when we are thinking sexually about his daughters, or not a wife, you think he's okay with that? Let me guarantee you, he's not okay with that. God is a loving God. God is a jealous God, and it's no different with guys. You know, you you. you you know, women thinking about men, men thinking about women. The, the issue is that most people, myself included growing up, grew up with this in church and longing to have a right relationship with God and thinking there was no hope. There was no hope in this. You know, this is just the way it is. This is just a struggle that you can't help. And the only thing that was taught about dealing with it is, well, don't let guilt bother you. God doesn't want you to live in guilt, so don't worry about it. Really? This is going to, well, this has no power, and this doesn't take care of it, and I can swipe it under the rug, but I keep chipping on it, okay? 
So I'm in this perpetual cycle of, God, forgive me, I want to have a right relationship with you, but God, go away. I want to lust about your daughter. You know, doing it. I want to think these, I want to think wrong. I want to disagree with you completely about, about how I'm supposed to think about it. You know, my obligation, my absolute responsibility, God's heart is that all of you are either my sisters or my daughters, and I have one wife. Okay? And my sexuality is limited and completely confined to my wife. That's a wondrous thing. And let me just say, in spite of what the world says, that's fulfilling. And that's complete. And that's passionate. And that's better than it's ever been. That isn't, all of a sudden there is no emptiness. There's fulfillment like I've never known in my life in the last years when she is the exclusive realm of sexuality for me. Okay? Period. There, purity there is huge passion in purity. Be very sure of that. God designed sexual passion. Okay? God is the designer of eroticism. That's a wondrous thing. That is not the ground of the devil, in spite of what he says. Okay? In spite of the lie he says. Okay? That is the ground of God our Father. And God longs for us to be involved in erotic sexual passion in marriage. Period. Not here, outside of it. Not here while we're in it. Not anywhere else, but in marriage. And in that, that's how God meant it to be complete. There is tremendous passion, fulfilling, gratifying, satisfying passion in purity. Okay? In spite of what Satan says, there is no gratification and satisfaction outside of that. Okay? There's a perpetual longing, never fulfilling, Never gratifying, always lusting or longing for more to try to fulfill it. Never will be. This fulfillment in purity is the way God designed it. That, w- that was a pretty strong rabbit trail, pardon me. You know. but, 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 but an essential one. Okay? But an essential one. In, in agreeing with God about how he designed things and how he intended things is the place where we can, I can, you know, I can have complete peace about the fact that um, God wants me to be sexual with my wife. I can have peace about that. That's a wondrous thing. Okay? Because that agrees with God. That, that's an absolute agreement with God. Lie to one another. We, 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 I know where I was going with that, and excuse me. The, the, the propensity in the church, or the, 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 the strong, near universal state of the church, okay, in spite of the fact we don't talk about it, we don't talk about those things in church. Pardon me, my thinking is if we don't talk about them here, where are we going to talk about them? Okay? If we don't talk about sexuality, if we don't talk about purity, you know, God designed it. God made it. It's not ick. It's not ooh. It's not meant for a dark room somewhere. God designed it. This is a wondrous thing that God designed with amazing ramifications and amazing side benefits, little children and all kinds of things. This is a wondrous thing that God intended. And we need to project it and portray it and speak of it in glory in what God has designed and how he designed it. 
and not let the world yell at us continually and perpetually because we will spend the rest of the next seven days or the next six and a half days getting bombarded by it. Okay? By a lie. By a lie. By being universally sexy to all men and, and getting the accolades and the, and the rush that we get. So that's why we dress. That's why we smell the way we smell. That's why we do what we do. Okay? Because it gets accolade, it gets sexual accolades. We're going to get that bombardment, so we need to get it here. The truth, God's perspective of it. The problem is, is that when we are told that we are not set free from the bondage of sin, that we can't have freedom in that, that we, we believe that we can't help it. This is just it. As we feed this sexual monster, okay, within us, as we feed this lust within us, we are told that we can't do anything about it. That's just the way things are, okay? God says, no, I do not want you to... So, what do we have to come to a point of saying, okay, God, I will put aside immorality. I will lay it aside. You say it's not it. Now, I need you to change my heart. Will God change your heart? Yes. Will God change your body? Yes. Will God change the way your synapses work in your mind? Yes. Will God change the way that what your visual takes in and how it responds and immediately stimulates certain things? He will change that supernaturally. He will change that if we are willing to be obedient to him. Okay? So that we are not perpetually, continuously trying to go like this and not do it. We can actually be set free. Okay? But because we're told that we are not set free, that God's okay with it, that we're not under law, we're not under even the law of morality, right? There's no longer law. We're under God's grace, which means that God just forgives and overlooks our sin, which is a lie. Okay? That's not what God's grace is. God's grace is that he sent Jesus to die in our place. Not when we were worthy, but he sent Jesus to die for us. That's his grace. Okay? Instead of his judgment coming down on us for what we are due and deserve. Alright? That's his grace. So what is, going back to this start place of this rabbit trail. So what, what does it mean, do not lie to one another? So what do we do? Because we long to have a right relationship with God. We long to be in a right state with God. All of us in this room do, or you wouldn't be here. Okay, We all long to, to have a right relationship with God. So what is the propensity? What do we do then in order to be validated in that relationship with God? We seek to get our validation from those who are Christians around us then. So we come to church or, or we, go, we start going to a church where we will be validated in our relationship with God. Because, our, because truthfully, our, when we're in willing sin... When, when I am, just for particulars, when I am in immorality, when I am thinking sexually about God's daughters, I am not right with Him. Okay? He's a loving, jealous dad. Okay? I'm not right with Him. Okay? So how do I feel right with Him? Because I long to be, but I can't help that. That's just part of my nature. So how do I feel? I get you guys to validate me. How do I get you guys to validate me? Well, I try, and I try to act correctly when I come in, and you know, you know, do I come in and say, oh yeah, I just went through the process of lust and masturbation this morning and so do it. It could be, ooh, you're creepy, man. Get out of here. You know? You, go away. You know, you're a freak. No, we don't do that. We come in, how you doing? I'm doing good. How's the relationship with God? Good. You know? How, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I, you know? I, oh, wow. Really? Yeah, good. Well, what do you, well, will you help serve? Okay, I, I'll serve. You know? I'll, I'll, I'll serve. I'll take the offering. You know? I'll do it. I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll teach this morning. Okay? 
And you guys, wow, you're a godly man. Okay, I, okay, I feel good about my relationship with God then. Right? I feel good about that because you guys are, have all validated me. That, this is not a new thing. This is not a contemporary thing. It's the exact thing that was happening in Jesus' day. It's the exact thing that Jesus was addressed with the Pharisees. And we tend to make them abstract, so distinct from us. No, they aren't. Okay? These guys were very devout in their relationship, desiring a relationship with God. Okay? But they had, they, they were unwilling to truly be obedient in their heart to God. Okay? They had sin in them. So their relationship was not right with God. Generally speaking, there was a few Pharisees, a few scribes, a few religious people of the day who were, who were devout, who, who, I mean, who were sincere, who from the heart were seeking to serve God. They recognized the Messiah. Okay? There was a few of them that did. Most didn't, did they? Most killed him. Most people killed, killed the Messiah because they didn't recognize him because they weren't sensitive. But they were doing the same thing on the outside. What were they doing? He said, Jesus said very clearly, you cannot gain your acceptance from men and your acceptance from God. You've got to choose. Okay? You've got to choose how you will live. Okay? And if, you, if your acceptance comes to God, comes from God, or from men, then you cannot, you're not acceptable and right before God. Because what? Because we will be a liar. Because I will put my best foot forward in order to. That is different. That is different than me laying aside, than me putting aside anger, wrath, and malice. Okay? That is different than me putting on, not pretending, not pretending, but putting on. What does it say to, to put on? We put aside anger, wrath, slander, malice, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Okay? Do not, do not give false impressions. Do not live out falsehoods. Not, I'm not talking about just with your mouth. I'm talking about with your body posture. Since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Conformity to the image of God. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, okay, because remember, God does not exist in an outhouse and hang out with you. Okay? Is holy and beloved. Put on. Clothe yourself with. Okay? Immerse yourself in a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other who has, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. This is foundational. This is fundamental. Okay? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Okay? That, that is, and, and it does change you. you know, I, I've told you guys this, before, but I'll say it again. It appeared in my time of, in my life in college when I was, I was a passionate disciple of Christ. Do I think I was born again? I think not. 
Because I didn't understand freedom from sin. But was I a passionate disciple? Absolutely. You know, I was a passionate disciple, right? I mean, I was a blaze of fire doing it. And in, in the process of longing for someone to keep check on me, because I was bouncing off the walls, you know, trying to get somebody to disciple me. Anyway, I, I ended up in a memorization program with one of the pastors, because that's the closest thing he understood to discipling. And um, we had a bunch of them, but nonetheless, I, the, the point is that that, that that memorization program, which I rebelled against and said, God, really? And he said, yes, really? Okay. So I went through this memorization program for, I don't know, what, a year or two? And, and I can tell you this, that that has been foundational in my life. That literal memorization. That God uses that daily, okay, in my life. That truth that I immersed myself into, that I, well, that was just, that was just rote memorization, yeah. Does that, in and of itself, is that going to create purity? Is that going to, no. Am I willing to be obedient to what God says? Yeah, at this point in my life, I certainly am. Okay? I am. Okay? You should be too. That's not a point of pride. That's a point of reality that we should be willing to be obedient to God, no matter how I feel, because God is God. Okay? I'm willing to be obedient. So when God he uses those truths continually to mold and shape and direct my life, um, it's a very important thing. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. We talked about this, and I have to say that I can't say with absolute authority. But I'm pretty convinced that word one another, we talked about that before in, in Ephesians. And the word one another means really in, in almost all of its, and I should have gone back and looked numbered, but of the hundred and sometimes it's used of one another, almost exclusively, all but a couple of them, it means oneself. Okay? And, and I'm pretty convinced at this point that this is talking about letting the Word of God teach and admonish ourselves, Richly dwell within us, teaching and admonishing us with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, this is something that, this is a state that we are supposed to exist in. And, and all of you know to some degree that, that there is, and if you don't know, you're missing out on a big part of life because even myself, who's not, you know, whatever, that there's, there's, I burst out singing to God in my relationship with Him. Okay? When, when there is, there is a, there is a, a time when I'm in a, a state of communion with God that becomes near euphoric and I can't help but sing. You know, I can't help but sing. I mean, one of my, one of my, Favorite times is being alone in my car. You know, sometimes it's singing to third day cranked up all the way, and sometimes it's singing to my to myself, but it's yelling, screaming at the top of my lungs. You know, doing it at times. It's just and it's a wondrous thing, you know, crying out to God. And you don't have to be there, and that's probably good because it is a wondrous thing in spite of my whatever um, lack of ability to sing. This, I, I really believe that what that what is being taught here is we need to let the Word of God richly dwell within us and change us. Teaching and admonishing us. Teaching and admonishing are two different words. Teaching is really 
the, the implantation of truth into something and, and admonishing is, is also the, is the, the words are close, but it also is the, the teaching of what is wrong. Okay? It's not talking about reproof. It's not talking about um, a spanking. It's talking about implementing God's heart on what is right and what is wrong. Teaching and admonishing yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay? And whatever you do, whatever comes out of this, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, let everything you do and be word and deed. If, 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 what does that mean? That means if you do something in my name, okay, if you, if you, if you, it better be what I agree with, okay? If you're going to use my name, you know, if, 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 if my guys are going to go in and say, well, David said so in the lumber yard, or my guys are going to act in, in, in a way, um, is representing me and, and my business and my guys going to the lumberyard or my guys are on the job or whatever and they do it in my name, it better not be in disagreement with who I am or what I am, right? I mean, it needs to be, in his name means in agreement with who Jesus is, of what Jesus thinks is right. Everything we do in word and deed needs to be in agreement with Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let me let me let me try to wrap this up a minute because I I, um, I I could go on and on and on and on. Okay. The what are we called to? What what does God call us to? What does it mean to be born again? What it means to be born again is that I am empowered with the supernatural power of God to be obedient. In and of myself, let me just say that trying to act this out, trying to put aside anger, wrath, slander, malice, abusive speech, trying to put on okay, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, outside of being born again, will be an act in frustration. Okay? Will be something that, that will not leave you fulfilled, will not leave you in peace, that will leave you start lying to one another. Leave us start putting on the impression that this is true. Okay? It's essential that we're born again. It's essential that we come to the point where that, that we are dead and, and the supernatural resurrection power is alive in us to truly change us. Okay? That, that's a really, really important state. We must be born again. For us to enter the kingdom of heaven in this world, in the future, in eternity, Right now, we must be born again. Okay? Not good triers. Not, not doing more than most. Not balancing the scale on the side of good. We must be born again. Okay? And for us to be born again, we have to die. For us to die, we have to realize that we are separate from God. Okay? That we cannot ever have a right relationship with God in and of ourselves. In is it an act of the will? It's an act of the will. Okay? And, and, and then we live in a continual state of submitting our will to God's will. Okay? 
And that comes from agreeing with him about what he says is wrong and agreeing with him about what he says is right. The, last week I think I stated this, but I think that it is very true again. What is the missing element in the, the primary missing element in, in the church in America? I think it's the primary missing element that's always been the case. But it certainly is the primary missing element. Because the missing element isn't correct doctrine even. You know, we have a, we have a lot of correct theology and a lot of correct doctrine. And, 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 and yet there is a, a missing link to godliness and holiness. Okay? There's a missing link to our boots. What is that missing element? I believe that missing element, and this isn't a cutesy little thing. This isn't a piece of candy. But that missing element is love. And, and if we are not obedient to God, to love, to love Him and to love our neighbors ourselves, we're in disagreement, in rebellion to Him. Okay? So, but, but be, the problem with that is, is that that has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do, love does not have to do with liking a whole lot. Let's see, if human love, See, human love is just is just liking, 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 liking a whole bunch. That's human love, okay? And so godly love must mean liking a whole, whole, whole bunch, okay? So we've got this progression from like to love, human love to agape love to godly love. You just went down a completely wrong road. You started at like, and it has nothing to do with starting with like, okay? It, it has to do with starting with submission of our will. Loving you is not about how much I like you. Loving you is regarding you as more important than myself. That's an act of the will. Loving you is, is regarding you as it, your life is having great worth and great value. Your eternity being very important to me. Your, your, your control by evil being of great concern to me because I care about you. Not, not because I, I like you. But because I am willing to regard you as more important than myself. So I think that God, I, I know God understands like, and God intends, God says that we are to pursue phileo love, which is brotherly love. We are, we are to pursue that, he says. What's that mean? That means I'm pursue best friendship with you guys. We're told to do that. We're commanded to do that. Okay? Is part, part of being obedient to God to love each other is to pursue best friendship. But you're not my kind of type. But you're not my kind of people. I mean, John's got a bald head, man. I mean, I, you know, what, what do we do? You know? My, my responsibility is to pursue best friendship with John. My, my responsibility is to pursue best friendship with all of you. Because God calls us. But that, my commandment is to agape love you. Okay? My commandment is to, that's not based on when we become best friends. That's not based on how much I like you because we're friends. That's based on obedience to God, that I am to regard you as more important than myself. That, that's the missing link. We can have all the intellectual correctness we want. But are we willing to, as an act of the will, to love? Are we willing to, to be bound together because God says we are to be bound together and God has put us in this proximity of this circle of people. And, and God intends for us to love each other. Not because we like each other, 
that I, but I do tell you, God will cause that. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. When I give myself up for you, I will start liking you. Okay? I will start loving you because that's my treasure when I give myself up. Okay? I will start emotionally phileo loving you. Okay? So there, there, there is the supernatural infusion of the power of God is the, and there is the perpetual subjection of our will to the truth of God. To be obedient to it. I hope that makes some sense and if nothing else, I hope it causes us to be confused and think about it. God, you're not a God of confusion and I, and I long that my brothers and sisters and myself are not confused. I long that we a light comes on that, that is illuminated what it means to put on and to put off. That being baptized into and being immersed into is a covenant relationship that we enter with you. That we perpetually live out in putting on and putting off. And clothing ourselves in. To be in Christ is not is not a coating on the outside, but in spite of the implication of clothes, but it's 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 an act of the will that we're obedient to you to to be patient, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be long suffering, to be forgiving. And we're obedient to you to not be subject to wrath, to malice, to anger, to greed, to sin that we are willing to put those off as we would close because it's an act of obedience and our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. We consider our members as dead to those things. In other words, unable to response to respond to. And, and we have to be willing to, as an act of our will to do that. God, I ask that you would give us understanding of that. It's not about our works that, that makes us right with you. But it is about us regarding you as Lord. It is about us surrendering our lives to you. Being obedient. So God, I ask that you would clarify, clarify that, clarify it in our hearts, what it means, who we're called to, the power that we're given to live it out. That you don't call us to be holy and then not equip us, but we have to resolve to be obedient in our covenant relationship with you. To stick with it, no matter how we feel. To be obedient to you is, is to love you. It's not about how we feel and how strongly we feel about you. It's about how obedient are we to you. How willing are we to regard you as more important than ourselves. I thank you for giving us that example. I thank you that we don't have to question what that looks like because Jesus lived it out absolutely. Jesus laid down his life in obedience to you and loving you and laid down his life for us. He fulfilled it completely. And so all we have to do is look to that example of what it really looks like and that looks pretty severe, but it is severe. I thank you that, that that is where fulfillment is. That this isn't something that 
is a taskmaster. You just demand that we do and labor in 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 hell on this earth. That's not what you'd call us to. You allow us to walk as children of the light in the kingdom of light, an intimate fellowship with you, fulfilled a peace in our hearts that directs and leads us in compliance and obedience and agreement with you. That being other, otherly minded is not to be controlled and consumed by and led by the things of this world. But in spite of the circumstances that might look terrible in this world, in spite of the things emotionally that might cripple us humanly, that we can have peace, we can have joy, because our, we're heavenly minded. Our obedience, our allegiance, our fulfillment comes from obedience and surrender and submission to you. I thank you that that isn't a, just a drudgery. It isn't a drudgery, period. It's death, but then it's life. That we can walk in life, not in death. That we can walk in how you created us to be in, in an intimate relationship with you. Fulfilled, complete, in power. I thank you, Jesus, for allowing that. I thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be seated next to you at the right hand of God, above all power and authority and dominion and rulers. And that we can walk and live in that authority and that life right here every day. Because you're a merciful, kind, and gracious God. Amen.